Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Now, the big debate of the week in politics has been around mainly the opposition parties saying we need to go for a zero COVID strategy and the government extending the restrictions to the 5th of March, uh, but saying that suppression is, uh, as far as you can go, zero COVID just isn't practical. Um, but it wasn't everyone in government. Uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Limerick City, Willie O'Dea, was talking to us earlier in the week. It's a bad situation, Joe. There's no doubt about that. It's a it's a bad situation. I mean, you know, there's, I, I must confess, and this is you're the first journalist to say this, but I must confess, I'm disappointed with the government decision yesterday. So, are you saying then that unlike the current government position as announced yesterday, you as a former minister and you as a current member of the government is in support of the zero COVID strategy? Yes, I am. So there you go. That was Willie O'Dea talking to us. Uh, now, uh, Fine Gael, uh, Minister of State and uh, Limerick TD, Patrick O'Donovan, is on the line right now. Good morning to you, Patrick. Morning, Joe. Do you disagree with Willie O'Dea? Well, look, I suppose everybody wants COVID numbers reduced. But if you ask, if you ask five different people what zero COVID means, you'll get five different answers. And that's the point that Honest was making during the week is that some people, you know, their view is that it should take it to as low as possible or as close to zero as possible. Some people believe it should be zero for 14 days. Some people believe, you know, we should try and do what they did in Melbourne um, or what they did in New Zealand. So it, zero COVID is a very good, I suppose, in fairness. To, and it, it's well-meaning, um, but it's a tagline. And unfortunately, it has become a tagline because it's not really defined. And even some of the medical experts recently are saying that as well. So the government strategy of suppression, which worked before, uh, which is aggressive suppression uh, in parallel to um, the rollout of the vaccine, is really the way forward. Um, what we don't need at the moment is, is taglines and, and building an expectation, you know, that there's some sort of uh, wall that we can put around the country that will keep this out because uh, we know that that just isn't practical where you have an island that's shared with two jurisdictions. But those who are advocating for it, they're definitely tapping into something. I mean, I certainly have found this particular week tough. And, and I think it has something yeah. to do with the fact that uh, the Taoiseach made the announcement, told us that the level five restrictions would certainly go to the 5th of March. We mm. know that there'll be high level restrictions beyond that. We won't have St. Patrick's Day. We're unlikely mm. to have Easter in the normal way. We're looking at, at six months. And lots of other listeners to this show have been reflecting that this week and, and are probably wondering how long more we can do this. Well, before Christmas, I suppose, and, and in the run-up to Christmas, you know, uh, I would have done several national and local interviews and, and the, the opposite would have been the case. How quickly can we open things up? Um, and the reality is that we're going to be in, in this situation for a long time. There is no doubt about it uh, because we have variants that are, uh, developing not only in, in the United Kingdom and South Africa that, that spread more rapidly. Uh, and it's not that people get more sick, uh, it's that people are contracting it far more quickly. Uh, and as a result, we know that it's having a huge impact above and beyond uh, what the previous uh, cycle of COVID had and our health service. Um, so we need to get a, to a critical mass of, of vaccination uh, to make any difference. Um, and that's the reality and we will get to a critical mass of vaccination but, but we certainly but we can only do that with suppression get there with the minister for health Stephen Donnelly's timeline of everyone vaccinated by September it's just not going to be possible I, based I on the amount of vaccine coming into the country 
Well, I think that time giving out timelines. It's like it's like if I was on with you at the moment and um, and you asking me the cost of a flood relief scheme, and I gave you a number, and it didn't come in either on target in terms of the exact number or the date in which I said it would be finished. Uh, you know, I would be in trouble. And I think, and rightly so. But I think giving dates by which you're going to have X number of people uh, vaccinated, really, to be honest about it, isn't the way forward. I think what we should be doing is targeting the, the, the amount of growth uh, of vaccination that you can have week on week. Uh, and if you stay on the trajectory of growth uh, and you can demonstrate to people on a weekly basis how many more people were vaccinated this week than last week. Uh, because, and I worked in the pharmaceutical sector and I know how the sector works. Um, the reality is that when you have um, a limited amount of a commodity at the moment, uh, the European Medicines Agency hasn't um, allowed the um, Oxford-AstraZeneca uh, vaccine to be used in the European Union. Hopefully that'll be today. But if you were to listen to what's coming out of Germany, it could come out with a caveat. We don't know. And if it does come out with a caveat, that could have impacts in the United States, in the United Kingdom and everywhere else. And then we're waiting for other companies to launch theirs, Johnson & Johnson and others. And hopefully, look, uh, because the European Union and other countries, individual countries, <clears throat> have ploughed money into the development of these vaccines. These vaccines haven't just been developed by the companies themselves. We've put a lot of money on the table. So hopefully when they do come out, supply then will become not the issue. The issue then will be the supply chain. In other words, how quickly can you get people to centres around the country? How quickly can you get... Um, doctors and pharmacists and I welcome the inclusion of dentists it's something I suggested myself I also suggested that if there are retired medics uh, and people from the medical profession who might be asked and who might feel that they have something to volunteer um, that they may be asked to come forward um, to, to, to support it and, we, and, will need, and, and we will just, need that level of support Because of <laughs> you, as you say you have a background in the pharmaceutical industry do you think that the British pulled a fast one on the European Union when it comes to the Oxford um, No, vaccine. no, I don't. <clears throat> They're gone from the European Union, so they have their own uh, they have their own protocols in place in terms of um, allowing uh, products for use, which would have been the case in Ireland uh, up to not that long ago, where individual countries would have gone through their own processes. We would have mimicked, obviously, a lot of what would have gone on in the United States, North America and the European Union before the advent of the European Medicines Agency. So I think actually the idea of the European Medicines Agency is an excellent idea because you have large countries with large... Yeah, no, I understand that. But I mean, on on the supply side... No, I don't think so. I think that like the United Kingdom... Where do they go, though? I mean, mean, the average punter was asking the question, where do they go? Well, the European the, the United Kingdom have gone from the European Union. So as soon yeah, but as the UK decided, is saying yesterday, sure, we can we have so many of these, we can donate them to other countries. Well, look, I mean, we don't know the contractual arrangements <clears throat> that the UK have with Oxford AstraZeneca. They also started using the product well in advance. So they're quite well, we know what the EU is saying about what they have, <clears throat> but they're saying that it isn't forthcoming. Yeah, but we also know that the European Union isn't accepting um, what's coming out of AstraZeneca by way of an answer. And we know that there was more discussions there last night. And I'd imagine that there'll be more discussions again. There are two plants in the European Union to manufacture this, uh, one in the Netherlands and one in Belgium. There are also two plants in the UK. Now, the location of the plants should have nothing to do with it because these plants should also be manufacturing for countries in the developed world and the developing world. So it isn't a case of just where you manufacture them, you dole them out. And I think, you know, the, the company is going to obviously have to have uh, time to reflect with the European Union how they're going to sort out this mess because from our perspective as Europeans 
we have a deal with this company, we expect them to live up to it. Yeah, yeah. A couple of other questions. Um, do you see an election for a directly elected mayor taking place this year in Limerick? I don't know, Joe, and I mean, I miss um, the minister with responsibility for the other night, uh, Peter Burke, and, and I, I have doubts based on uh, COVID, being quite honest about it. I've, first of all, I think that the, the, the directly elected mayor, um, I was one of the first proponents, but I think it's a really good idea. But I think in order to have a meaningful engagement, and, and I said this to Peter Burke, uh, in order to have meaningful engagement uh, and a meaningful campaign where you actually energise people, you have to have it in a situation where people feel comfortable to engage in a post-COVID environment. Uh, now, whether that's in the autumn of this year, I think that could be a bit ambitious. Um, it may have to go out into the following year. But if it does, that's fine. It will still be the first of its kind in the country. And I, I also suggested at a very early stage that the first term and the second term would be rolled together. Because otherwise, if we're going to match the local election cycle, you'd have a situation where the mayor would be elected for 18 months and they'd be on the road again they'd achieve nothing. They'd be in a kind of a permanent yeah. election cycle. And, so and, the, the first term should really right. go... And, 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 and would years. you be confident that uh, the the field of candidates, whether it comes through parties or independents or whatever, that ultimately the person in the role would not simply be somebody of high profile? Well, the person ultimately in the role would be the person who receives the biggest number of votes. Yes. And if that's high profile or low profile... You know, yeah, but, 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 but isn't there an issue here in, in a very simple um, um, situation where we're taking functions from the CEO, you know, and, and, and the CEO has mm. come through the process and, you know, would have, through the, the civil service, learned the trade, as it were. Mm. And, and surely it matters that the person in this role with, with a lot of very significant powers mm. has the necessary skills. Yeah, and a person of a very low profile could have those skills. But mightn't get elected, is my point. But, like, there's, you must remember, Joe, that everybody who starts off on the road for an election, whether it is Dal or European, most of the time they have low profiles. We've often seen high-profile people crash and burn. Uh, you know, sometimes the parachute candidate, whether they're coming off of a, a sports field or whether they're coming off of the television, whether it is the presidential election or a county council election, sometimes they don't get through because the electorate are very discerning. Uh, and your show um, is going to play a critical part in this because um, whether it's post-COVID or whether it is really further down the road from COVID, the reality is that politics is going to have changed because of COVID anyway, because I don't think that we're going to see to the same degree the door knocking uh, because a lot of people I don't think will be comfortable with that, either the people that we ask to vote and knock on the doors or the people whose doors are going to have to be opened. They're not going to be comfortable with that for a long time. So your programme and your station, because of the, the reach it has, <clears throat> is going to have a big input into it. And the people that are listening to it will be able to weed out, I think, fairly quickly. You might have a high profile, but you mightn't be a whole pile of good to Mount Collins or Carberley. Um, and that's the reality. Right. If somebody with a very low profile could actually wind up winning it, okay. or someone with a high profile could I, wind up winning it. Right. And one other question. A, a member of your own party, Councillor Liam Galvin, was on the show with us yesterday, and he was calling on you and the other TDs in the constituency to put pressure at national level to uh, rescind national legislation, which councillors believe will stop one-off housing from next year across rural Limerick. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we met with uh, uh, Liam and the minister with responsibility for planning before Christmas, and the minister made it very clear like, that it's the councillors that prerogative to do, adopt the county development plan within the national planning framework, and that process has started. Uh, and I understand that um, councillor Stephen Keary has asked that that process be um, stopped 
uh, and ceased until such time as COVID rules allow the councillors to actually have physical meetings, which I think is a good idea. Uh, trying to go through detailed maps and, and detailed designs and things like that, um, you know, when you can't actually physically sit down with planners is virtually impossible. People's signal but, breaks down and but, you have... But is it true? I mean, is it, is it factually correct that the national framework means that one-off housing will be effectively banned in rural no, Limerick? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. The national planning framework makes it very clear that if somebody has a social or economic need, they will be able to apply for um, a one-off rural house. And, you know, the important thing to point out is I think that in Limerick at the moment, up to 83% of the applications for one-off rural houses are actually granted. We have a very small number of people that have their applications relative to the entire amount that are refused and an even smaller amount because I got the figures from the Department of Housing um, who have their applications withdrawn. So there's two real powers that the councillors have uh, in the lifetime of the council. One is to adopt the budget and one is to adopt the development plan. Uh, and I've given the, the Limerick councillors the example of the Monaghan County Development Plan, which was adopted after the National Planning Framework came into um, existence. Uh, and it provides for very ambitious um, rural housing, including a policy for immigrants returning. So if Joe Nash, for instance, had a you know previous connection to Kilcarnan and had to go to America, uh, but came home because things got better and was living in America for the previous number of years. In Manahan, he'd qualify for a house. In Limerick, he wouldn't at the moment. Right. So there are other okay. so local authority areas. Okay. Well, we, we, there we, are. We, we'll continue that debate and we'll see how, where it leads. Thank you very much for talking to us this morning. Uh, Limerick, Fine Gael TD and uh, Minister of State Patrick O'Donovan. Call Limerick Today now on 461995.